our great hope. Christ is risen. Okay, for the Baptists. Um, in about third century, this was a, an expression that started that's uh, really used all over the world today. And uh, it's a, as a matter of fact, it's kind of a playoff on what Peter said uh, later on in the Gospel of Luke uh, when he's affirming that Christ has risen. And so all over the world today, and uh, also uh, for uh, nearly 1,800 years, this expression has been used. Uh, I'll say Christ is risen, and you say he is risen indeed, if you believe that. Okay, so let's try it one more time. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. The year was 1991. I remember it very well because my brother Joy was serving in, uh, in Afghanistan, or excuse me, in Saudi Arabia in Daharan. It was the Persian Gulf War, and uh, pretty much daily, Scud missiles were being sent to Daharan and intercepted by Patriot missiles. My brother literally picked up pieces of the Scud missile and brought it back when he came home. But I always had that fear in the back of my mind when I would hear news reports uh, that one day one of those Scud missiles would actually hit and we would receive the news, much like Ruth Dello Campbell did in February of 1991. Two uniformed army officers came to her door and gave her the news that no one ever wants to hear. I'm sorry, your son has been killed in action. Ruth said, I hit the ground at that moment. I don't know what else they said. I couldn't ascertain. I couldn't bear it. It was everything I could to pick my head up off of the floor. And over the next couple of days, the weight was so heavy on my chest that it was literally hard to breathe. I didn't know how I was going to go on. And then after a couple of days, the phone rang. And on the other end, there was a voice that said, Mom, it's me, Clayton. And she said, no, my son was killed in action just a couple of days ago. No, Mom, most of the guys in my unit were killed were killed, but I, I, I survived, and I'm, I'm wounded, but I'm, I'm going to live. Mom, I'm alive. It was kind of a dream that she thought she was having, and she wanted to make sure this was true, and even though she recognized the voice, she said, if you're really my son, tell me what I used to call you when you were a little boy. What was the nickname that I gave you when you were a small boy? Clayton thought for a moment, he goes, Garbage disposal? And she began to weep uncontrollably because that was his name when he was a little boy because he would eat so much she called him my little garbage disposal. And as she began to weep with tears of joy, that must have been how the disciples and Mary felt that Easter morning when they discovered, in fact, that Jesus was alive. It's Resurrection Sunday. And if you're here today, you fall into one of four camps. Maybe you're here today and you just reject this and you go, hey, I, I don't buy it. And, and that was like a lot of the folks in that day, the, some of the religious authorities, the soldiers, the, most of the Roman government, they rejected that Christ was who he said he was. They rejected the resurrection. 
But then there were others like John who had a very simple faith. He simply added all the evidence up and he'd been with Jesus and I believe it's true. Here's the empty tomb. I know it's true. Maybe your faith has been like that. Maybe you received Christ as a child and you've never really doubted your faith. It's pretty simple. God said it. I believe it's true. It's now I'm going to live it. Or maybe you've had a difficult time. Maybe you've had a very harsh life. And there's a lot of grieving because of losses that you've suffered and you believe, but it's, it's a hard time. It's a struggling. It's a difficult belief. Or maybe you just struggle. Maybe you just say, you know, I try to follow Christ and I've tried this, but it really hasn't worked for me. I seem like I mess up. Seems like this is not working. And I, I want to believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. I try to be good enough, but it just doesn't seem to work. And the truth be told, the gospel is this, that we're all more wicked and sinful than we ever could hope or imagine. We're never going to be that good. We're certainly not going to be perfected, not here on this earth. But the good news is a holy God in whom there is no sin made a way that we could be forgiven our sin by Jesus Christ through his crucifixion, through his death, and through his resurrection. That if we put our hope and trust in what Jesus has done, we might be forgiven and seen as cleansed before God. That's the message of the gospel. That's the hope of the resurrection that Jesus gives us today. So where is your faith? Is it simple? Are you grieving? Are you struggling? Or do you reject it? We'll see three of these in this passage right here. The, the simple, the grieving, and the struggling. If you have your Bibles, look with me now at the Gospel of John, beginning in chapter 20, verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, and incidentally, the first day of the week is Sunday, uh, <clears throat> one of the major transformations that happen is the Sabbath moves from Saturday, and Christians begin to celebrate on Sunday, which was huge because the Sabbath was one of the most holy days and the holiest part of the whole religion of Judaism. So this is a huge transformation as they change to Sunday, the first day of the week, the day that the Lord rose from the dead. And it's now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene. Now, who is Mary Magdalene? Perhaps you've watched the Da Vinci Code or read the book or heard other stories that Mary was Jesus' wife. Um, that is a complete fabrication. It's just, it's a lie is what it is, but it sells books and people like to sell movies and, and sell books. So this was something that was kind of invented, but, uh, that was never the case. Never that relationship. Uh, obviously Jesus never married, but some stories to sell money have, have placed that in there. Mary, who she actually was, she was from Magdala, which was an area, uh, it probably about 75, 60 miles out of Jerusalem. It was an area that I had a chance to visit when I was in uh, Israel a few years back. And uh, particularly during the time of Jesus, it was known as kind of a shady area. You know, sometimes you might say that's kind of a shady neighborhood. That's the way people thought of Magdala. It was not an esteemed. It was kind of a, a bad city. It was kind of a shady area. And Mary's from there. And we know this about Mary, that Mary uh, also is the one who had seven demons, and she was delivered from the demons. And so she has been following Jesus ever since. Just like the disciples, she's following along with some others that are following Christ. And so Mary has completely had her life transformed. 
She was a woman from a, a bad area, probably didn't have much, didn't have a great reputation. And then on top of that, uh, she's possessed. But Jesus delivers her, and now here she is. Her life has been so transformed following Christ, and she's grieving, we'll see in verse 11 in just a moment. And Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, the empty tomb. And while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken from the tomb. The Greek here doesn't just specify that it was just moved or just rolled. The picture here is that it's been completely taken away, that it's not even right there in front of the sepulcher or the tomb anymore. It's been moved. And by the way, this, uh, we know, first of all, the only ones who had sepulchers or grave, basically, uh, they were basically graves of what we'd call them today. They were hewn out of rock and they would be about five foot high. The door would be about five foot high and about four to five feet wide. And then they would make basically what we'd think of as kind of shelves where they would place the body. <clears throat> and a family might put their, if they were a wealthy family, they might put their entire family. That's where they'd be buried. And then after the last member was placed in there, then they would seal it with that, uh, with that rock. That st- they would have a stone that they would seal. And those stones, they estimated to be, be between one and a half to two tons. That's how big it would have been. And some of them, matter of fact, we were there, they talked about how often inside that stone, they would have it just perfectly uh, chiseled out where it would fit in that five by four foot hole. And so it fit like a cork. Then you put on top of it that the Roman government, we know if we look at the other gospels, <clears throat> there was a seal put on it. And how'd they do a seal? They would put a rope around that rock and then they would take wax and they would melt it on there. And then they'd put the Roman seal that this, this uh, tomb is closed, never to be entered by Roman authority. And then there were guards placed there as well. And it must have been at least four because uh, the terminology that was used by Pilate, there were at least four guards placed there. So you've got this rock that's a, a ton and a half to two tons. It's sealed and there are guards. But now that's all gone. The Bible says, so she ran. Now we're going to see a lot of running in this text. People are running around here. And uh, maybe you're running today. Some of us are running uh, because we're late. Some of us are running for, our, for work. We're running for money. We're running out of time. Uh, we're running out of nervous energy. And that seems to be the case right here. Mary ran. She takes off because she's in fear. She's in consternation. So she takes off running and she goes to Simon Peter and to John. Now, what's interesting, we haven't heard from Simon Peter since he denied the Lord three times. He didn't show up anywhere in the text until now. He denied the three, Lord three times, and he leaves weeping bitterly. So he's not there after, at the court. He's not there before Pilate. He's not at the, the Via Della Rosa on the road to Golgotha. He's not at Calvary when Jesus is crucified. He's not there when he's taken down. We don't hear anything from Peter, all right? He's gone. But we have a hint from this text where Peter has been. Apparently, John, the beloved disciple, has taken Peter in. Not only is he taking Peter in, who else does John have? We know from the cross, Jesus commissions John to take his mother. So John has Peter and Jesus' mother living with him at this point, ministering and encouraging them. So she ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, who is John, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. Now, one of the rumors and one of the, uh, one of the ways people will explain this sometime 
was that, well, the disciples stole the body. Well, no, they didn't even know. They're surprised. Matter of fact, Mary comes back and says, they, uh, probably insinuating the Romans, have, have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we, we indicating there were more, we know there are other women in the other text that's read, so it's we. Uh, that's probably what she's referring to. Do not know where they have laid him. Next verse. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb, and both of them were running. Peter's probably running and struggling and going, what's going on? I've denied him, and now his body's gone, and he's running. Maybe he's angry. Maybe he's frustrated. John, or it says the other disciple outran Peter, indicating that he was probably younger than Peter, and reached the tomb first. And stooping in to look, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. So John uh, is ahead of Peter. He runs faster than Peter. He gets there first. He looks in and he sees the linen, the linen that is still there. Now, in those days, um, when a body would die or when someone would die, they would wrap them in the linen cloth, much like a mummy. They would wrap it over and over and over, and they'd put all these wrappings. As a matter of fact, when Lazarus was called forth, when Jesus called Lazarus forth, he came out in uh, the wrappings. But they see the wrappings neatly there. As a matter of fact, there was a kind of a put placed over the face. There was a linen cloth over the face. That's been folded up and put on the other side of the tomb. Now, if you were going to steal the body, would you say, hey, let's unwrap this decomposing three-day-old body and we'll just put it on our shoulders and we'll take off here. No, you would not take that off. It's been wrapped and wrapped. Spices and ornaments have been placed there so that the smell would not be so unbearable. But now those are clean and they're placed on the side. And the Bible says, Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. Here's John's faith. It wasn't that hard for John. He had been with Jesus and now he is gone. John believes. Believes that he's been resurrected. His simple faith. Maybe you're here today and faith is simple for you and that is a blessing. That's a great gift from God. That's where John is. But we continue on, and it says, but up to this point, or as yet, they had not understood the Scripture, speaking of the Old Testament, that he must rise from the dead. But now it's all starting to come together. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Now, that's interesting, verse 10. They see, the bat, they see there's uh, nobody there, so they go home. Why would they do that? Well, remember who's living with John? He goes back, Jesus' mother. They go back home, but Mary stood weeping. She has a grieving face. She stood weeping outside the tomb as she wept. She stopped to look into the tomb. Maybe you're here this morning and you go, you know, I just, I don't get it. I don't, I reject it. I'm got a pretty scientific mind. I'm kind of an academician. And I, it just doesn't make sense to me. It's hard for me to buy. Well, let me ask you a few questions that maybe you could answer. Maybe you, this would help for you to have a better explanation, a better understanding. Could it be, first of all, how would you explain the post-resurrection appearances? 
Over 500 people testified that they saw Christ after his resurrection, after the death, burial, and resurrection. And any one of them, they could have gotten to say, no, I didn't see that. I didn't see him, but they did. And none of them ever denied it. What about the martyrdom of their faith? People who died for their faith. Died. We're talking about these disciples who had all run away with the exception of John. Now they'll all die a martyr's death, all but, but one of them who happened to be John. <clears throat> they'll all die a martyr's death. Peter will be crucified. Yet he denied when a little girl asked him. He denied Christ. And then what would so transform his faith that he would be willing to die? What about the growth of the church? There are just a couple hundred probably following Jesus at this point. Then Pentecost comes, there's 3,000. And then over the course of the next 300 years, half of the known world will become believers in Christ Jesus. How would that be true for a lie? For something that was just made up? What about Jesus' prophecies? If you go back to Matthew chapter 12, you see that Jesus said, I, I will... In three days, I, I will die, I will be uh, crucified, and then I'll come back. Over and over again, he says this, the Son of Man must suffer and go before the authorities. He must suffer and then be killed, but then I will rise again on the third day. Matthew chapter 12, he says this. In Matthew chapter 16, he says this. In Matthew chapter 17, he says this. In Matthew chapter 20, those are just four of the instances in Matthew. Then he states this over and over again to the point that the... Uh, the authorities said, hey, when Jesus was here, he said that in three days he would rise again. That's why they went to this elaborate effort to seal the tomb, put the Roman guards, and to have the stone placed there. Because Jesus said this is what would happen, and that's exactly what occurred. Or even more difficult to explain would be Isaiah chapter 53, written 700 years before the time of Christ. Go and just read that chapter where it says that he was pierced for our iniquities, and we know he was pierced while on the cross, that they literally gambled for his clothes and the soldiers would do that. How do you manufacture that if you're on a cross? You get the, you get the soldiers to, to gamble for your clothes, that his bones would not be broken. They were not broken when he was on the cross because when they came to him, he was already dead. How would that already be known 700 years before in prophecy? Coincidence? I think not. But maybe you think, well, but the science. I don't know if the science is there. I mean, I'm a scientific kind of academia in mind. I don't know that I can buy. I mean, what scientists really ascribe to this resurrection thing? Well, a lot. Can I give you five? I wanted to give you 12, but the people who uh, were doing my notes said, um, that's a little too many. And so they convinced me. So I'm going to bring it down to five. But if you want a list, I could give you a whole lot more. But let's do a few. Ian Hutchinson. Uh, PhD in engineering and physics, professor of nuclear science and engineering at MIT. Matter of fact, he's the head of the Department of Nuclear Science and Engineering at MIT. And by the way, if you don't know what MIT is, you're not quite as scientific as you think you are. But nevertheless, um, brilliant, brilliant man, brilliant professor. And uh, was not raised as a Christian, as a child, but as an adult. Someone challenged him to read a book. He began to read, began to read the Bible, began to study and soon came to the place that he believed the truth as he did his research that Jesus, in fact, who, who, was, who he said he was, that the Bible was the revealed word of God and trusted Christ as his Lord and Savior. 
uh, one of the most brilliant minds in the United States today, Dr. Ian Hutchinson. Another, uh, Dr. Fit, Fit, Henry Fitz Schaefer III, um, he is recognized as probably the greatest computational chemist alive today. He's been nominated four times for a Nobel Prize, four times for a Nobel Prize, believes strongly in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, has put his faith and trust in Christ and calls himself a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. Another, one of my favorite guys, uh, John Lennox, uh, PhD from University of Cambridge and from University of Oxford and teaches mathematics and science at the University of Oxford. Uh, sometimes we'll debate Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist. Uh, you can go and see those debates online. Um, if you're looking at content, now if you're just looking at emotionalism, uh, you know, Dawkins is, is more of the communicator and very emotional, but from content, from those who grade it, they would tell you uh, that Lennox mopped him up, okay, in content. John Lennox, strong, conservative, Bible-believing follower of Christ, Christian who believes strongly in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jennifer Wiseman is another one, PhD in astronomy from Harvard University, senior astrophysicist at NASA, believes in the resurrection of Christ, calls Jesus Christ her Lord and Savior, and believes the truth of the Bible. And then for Texas, let's have someone from Texas here, uh, James Tour, uh, professor at Rice University in nanotechnology uh, and engineering, PhD from Purdue and professor at Rice, holds more than 120 patents. Uh, not only that, in 2013, R&D, which is Research and Development Magazine, called him the scientist of the year or the greatest scientist, uh, one of the greatest scientists in the world, and recognized him as the greatest scientist in the world in 2013. If you look at any top 50 list, of great scientists in the world today, you're going to see James Tour's name on that. James Tour not only believes that Jesus Christ is his Lord and Savior, not only believes in the resurrection, but right now on Sunday morning, every Sunday morning, he teaches a class at Rice. It's a volunteer. It's just kind of like a Bible study class on Sunday morning for doctoral and graduate students that come and hear him teach the Bible. And uh, to be candid, his doctrine, if you go on his personal site, it looks like a lot like ours, a lot like our doctrinal statement, uh, except it looks a little more intellectual than ours. But nevertheless, it's on there. <clears throat> and he believes strongly and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's talk about people who've been here today and some of you that are, are here today whose lives have been transformed by the risen and resurrected Lord. I want to start right here with Stephen Gonzalez. Stephen came a couple of years ago on Easter. Somebody invited him to come to a service. And so he came and he didn't really go to church. And then about eight or nine months later, uh, he went through a difficult time and he thought, you know, I'll just go to the only church I've been to as an adult. And so he came back here to Rock Point and he began to hear the gospel and hear the message. He began to come each week. Uh, then he got connected and our men's ministry got involved. And then one day, uh, one of our students were being baptized up there and he thought, that's what I need to do. That's, that's my story. That's what I know. I'm ready to fully commit my life to Christ. But you know how that happened? Stephen said, I came and uh, on that second time I ever came to church, he said, I was sitting by myself. And he said, I'd never come to church by myself. And he said, and, you, and the pastor said, if you need prayer today, would you stand? So I didn't come to church by myself, much less stood. And next thing I know, I'm standing. And then he said, uh, I want to pray for you. And if someone's around, you just put a hand on it. He said, and these people, I didn't know, put their hand on them. They started praying for me. And I felt this overwhelming sensation come over me. I felt the peace of God rush in on me like I had never known or experienced before. 
And that day, I realized that God was real and that he knew I was there. And so I, as I studied and began to learn, I finally came to that place where I go, I want to give my complete life to Christ. And Stephen has had his life transformed by the power of the gospel and the resurrected Lord. Uh, right here is the Bartholomew family. They were in the service last hour. Um, this is Linda and Michael. And Linda, a, few years, a couple of years ago, began to study. Uh, she was just struggling and empty, and so she began to read Scripture, and then she began to look for a way to learn more about it, started coming here. Somebody invited her. She started doing Bible study, and during that time, her and her husband separated, and he moved out, and uh, she began to grow, and she finally came to that place to where she committed her life to Christ, and that's her and her son being baptized. In the meantime, Michael decided that uh, God began to break him, and he said, I, I think I'm going to go to church too. She goes, that's fine, but you do that on your own. She wasn't buying it, and um, he began to come. He began to come by himself. Matter of fact, he'd sit often by himself right over here, and then he, he began, began to come and uh, get involved in Bible study and men's ministry. Soon, he said, I, I was ready, and I committed my life to Christ. Uh, it took a few months for us to reconcile, but now that family's back together, and I was talking to him yesterday, and he goes, God has come completely changed our family's life. He goes, where there was no prayer, where there was no faith, uh, we have faith. He goes, and I'm trying to lead my family. I'm praying for my family each night, and I'm trying to lead them, and we're attending church together, and we're growing. We are completely transformed by the power of the risen and resurrected Lord. Here's another one here, Stuart Smith. Stuart began to come a few years ago. Someone invited him, and he began to listen, and about... Seven or eight months ago, he came to the place where he goes, I am ready to fully commit my life to Christ and to follow in believer's baptism. So he committed his life and followed in believer's baptism. And then a month later, he baptized all three of his children who committed their life to Christ, the risen and resurrected Lord. Uh, this is Victoria Bauer. She was here last hour. And um, just a beautiful story. Her family, she had no church background, had not ever attended church. Matter of fact, they were uh, kind of antagonistic toward it. But that's fine if you're going to go. So she would go with friends. And uh, she started coming with friends who invited her. She heard the gospel, accepted Christ, and was baptized. And as a believer in Christ, was here worshiping with us uh, this morning. Guy Anderson. Guy, when he was three years old, his mother died in childbirth, giving birth uh, to his brother. And as that happened, his father became very angry and embittered toward God. And so that's what he heard growing up, his father's anger and bitterness toward God. Uh, but then as an adult, he began to, to seek and to read. And somebody challenged him to read a C.S. Lewis book. So he read it, and he began to read and began to think about it, and he began to read more. And then they moved to Texas. And when they got here, he said, you know, let's, he told his wife, let's Let's see if we can find a church. And so they began to look around, and finally they came here, and he began to listen. He began to take it in, and then he said, I'm ready. And he accepted Christ and followed in believer's baptism. And now his children, he said, his two oldest children have accepted Christ. His life has been transformed by the risen and resurrected Lord. And then these last two are, are students, McKenna Cowley. Uh, McKenna, matter of fact, <clears throat> Brittany Stair, who who was a friend of hers, began to share her faith, who goes to church here, and she began to talk to her about her faith. And McKenna began to come here, and uh, she came to Impact Weekend and to a couple other events, and she trusted and gave her life to Christ, and she was baptized last Sunday. And then Trinity Sophie, I, I love this story. This is her friend, Hannah Roberts. And I said, I, I remember just a couple months ago going back here, and I met Trinity. I said, Trinity, 
tell me your story. Why are you here today? She goes, well, I'll tell you why I'm here. We visited this church one time and um, I met a girl. Her name was Hannah. And uh, we started talking and I told Hannah that I didn't have any friends. I go to school, one of the high schools here. And um, she said, well, I'll be your friend. She goes, uh, she goes well, I'm, I, I always sit by myself at lunch. Well, what lunch do you have? They had the same lunch. She goes, well, I'll sit with you. And she goes, and I wondered if she would. And every day she started sitting at lunch with me. I was so discouraged. I always hated lunch because I would just have to go there and sit by myself. And she began to sit with me and to share the love of Christ. And she goes, so that's why I'm here today. Because of what Hannah shared with me, I'm here and I want to be baptized. And I'm ready to commit my life and follow Jesus Christ. Great stories of how the resurrected and living Jesus Christ changed lives, is changing lives today and will continue. Have you let him change your life by giving your life to him, by committing your life to him? Where are you on that scale? Are you rejecting faith today because of an intellectual reason? Have you really studied? Have you really done the research? Or have you just made the choice not to believe? Maybe your faith is simple. That's right. That sounds true. That, I believe it. Maybe you're grieving because of hard things that are going on in your life because of difficult circumstances. Can I tell you? He's there. His grace is sufficient. That his peace is made per- most perfect in our weakness. And that maybe you're here and you're just struggling. I'm trying to be good enough. Can I tell you? Quit trying to be good and give your life to Christ. It's what he did. He lived the life that you should have lived and died the death that you should have died. And we put our faith and trust. We transfer our trust to what Christ has done as opposed to what we could ever do. And we commit our lives to him. Have you done that? I want to challenge you to do that. Rick Warren, who's the pastor of Saddleback Community Church and the author of The Purpose Driven Life, about three years ago, his son committed suicide. About a year later, there, were, there was a reporter that came and began to talk to him and said, tell me about this. How have you recovered? He said, well, my hope is found in Easter. In Easter? What do you mean by that? He said, well, the first day when the disciples heard the news, they, they were grieving. They were in much sorrow. They felt uh, just completely devastated. On the second day, they began to question. They began to clamor and they began to ask the why questions. He goes, and that's exactly what I've been through. But on the third day, they came and they saw that the tomb was empty, that he had risen. Hope and joy replaced their anxiety and depression because he had risen. He had conquered the grave. He had conquered death. He had conquered sin. And they were given new life because of the resurrection. And they knew that one day they would be resurrected with Jesus Christ, that he had done exactly what he said he would do. That's my hope. That's why I have hope that one day I will be resurrected and I will be with my son Matthew again who has trusted Christ. And that's where I put my hope. That's how I go on. Tim Keller, pastor, Redeemer Presbyterian, says one night I, was, uh, I had this dream and it was so vivid and so real that all of my family had been killed and I was devastated. And when I woke up, I was in a cold sweat and I looked over and saw my wife and I began to cry because I realized she was alive and I had such a great appreciation for her because I thought she was gone, but now she was here. So I walked to the, to the rooms of each of my sons and I would see my sons resting there and I could not look at them without weeping, without crying. Why? 
because I thought they were gone. And the joy I felt when I realized they were there was so overwhelming. That's a picture of the resurrection. The sorrow, the terror, the discouragement that we feel on this earth when we lose someone or something. The great news of the resurrection is one day, for those who know Christ Jesus, we will be resurrected and we will be reunited with him. And I believe those of you who've lost people, those of you who have gone through horrific times, that it will be even more sweet. It'll be a sweeter experience because you will know what it felt like not to have had them. And the joy will be unspeakable. That's how God redeems all things for his glory through his risen and resurrected spirit. Do you know him today? If you don't, would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you so much that you lived a perfect and sinless life. Lord, you were God in flesh. You came and lived here. And that you gave your life because you said in the word of God, there could be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. So you shed your blood and you took our place. And anyone who would believe that you have the power to say that you are risen and resurrected, that Lord, your grace would cover them. And when God sees them, they would be seen as cleansed, as accepted, as a friend of God. I thank you, Lord, for that great gift. And Lord, so if there's one that doesn't know you, I pray today that they would pray this prayer. Jesus I recognize that you are God, that you have the power to save and forgive. I believe that you were resurrected, and I know that I'm a sinner and that I'm not good enough to to gain your relationship, your forgiveness by simply being good. But, Lord, I am asking by grace for you to save me. Lord, apply to my account your blood. Lord, cover me, forgive me. Lord, I commit my life to you to be my Savior. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.